morning of October the 15th, 1987, the senior BBC weatherman, Michael Fish, concluded his bulletin with a statement that he has been never ever allowed to forget. This is what he said, and I quote verbatim. Earlier on today, a lady apparently rang the BBC and said she'd heard there was a hurricane on the way. Well, don't worry if you're listening. There isn't. A few hours later, the worst storms to hit Britain since 1703 got a devastating swathe through southeast, southwest England. After the storm passed, the landscape was changed. Some 15 million trees were felled, whole forests decimated, buildings suffered severe damage, ships were driven onto shore, and 16 people died as a direct result of the storm damage. Reading this again on the web, I discovered that the Met Office are still defending Michael Fish on the grounds that the storm only reached 11 on the Beaufort scale and it needed to be 12 to qualify as a hurricane. Nonetheless, many people would have made preparations had they known what was going to happen. As it was, they went to bed that night reassured that they had nothing to fear. Fear is a powerful emotion and a legitimate tool, especially where the consequences may be serious and all else may have failed. A parent's reason and even pleading may not be enough to prevent a small son jaywalking across a busy road every day. Fear may save his life. And the fear of God may save your life and your soul if you take God's warning seriously. Sadly today, such people are the exception, not the norm. People who live by faith, believing what God says and acting on it. And in our series, based on Hebrews 11, which we've entitled Living by Faith, we come today to the supreme example of such a person. Alistair, you need to keep moving the thing on. Thank you very much. Yeah. Such a person, a man named Noah, who has much to teach us about the relationship between faith and fear. Now, this is what we read about Noah. We only have one verse this evening, but some background chapters. Here's what Hebrews 11, verse 7, says about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, in order to understand this statement that the writer makes, we need to be aware of the background, the story of Noah, which is found in the book of Genesis, and we'll be referring back to chapter 6 through 9. But I simply want to highlight from the verse, very simply, you can work this out for yourself, if you look at the verse, four important facts 
about Noah's faith. Four facts about Noah's faith. Here's the first thing about Noah's faith. The warning he received. Let's read the verse again. By the end of the sermon you should know it by heart. By faith Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family, by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Many people think that faith is dreaming up something you would like to happen, convincing yourself it's true, and then believing it no matter what if it's to happen. That is simply faith in faith. But in the Bible, faith is always faith in God and what God says will happen. And that's where the story of Noah and his faith begins. Genesis 6 describes the situation, the time when Noah lived, and the Lord's response to the human race at that point in human history. You see, although Adam and Eve had rebelled against God, been banished from paradise, driven from his presence, and the intimate relationship they'd enjoyed with him, the Lord God had not withdrawn from the world of people. No, he was still active. And this is what the Lord saw at this time. Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Not only was the Lord not remote from the world, he was also not dispassionate about what he saw. Genesis 6 verse 6. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And seeing and feeling this for decade after decade, generation after generation, the Lord decided after all this period of warning and patience, finally to take action. Genesis 6 verse 7 tells us what the Lord decided. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Now, was this the end of the human experiment and the created world? No, because there was one person who found favour with the Lord, and only one, an exceptional person. Genesis 6 verse 8, but Noah found favour, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Out of all the wicked people on the face of the earth, Noah stood out from the rest because of his standing with the Lord. Genesis 6 verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He was distinctive also because of his relationship with the Lord. And he walked with God. And so it was, walking with God, that the Lord spoke to him and told him what was going to happen and what he should do. Notice the Lord's warning to Noah. It's a warning of destruction. Genesis 6:13. So that God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And he informs Noah about how this destruction will take place. Genesis 6 verse 17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Now, that's background to our point. God's word of warning was the seedbed into which Noah's faith had to germinate or die. 
And it involved faith because it was about things not yet seen. Faith was focused on an unknown future. Look again at others. By faith, no. When warned about things not yet seen. Up to this point in human history, it appears that no one had ever seen a flood, for no one had yet seen rain. The meteorological conditions on earth were radically different before the flood. Genesis 2, 5 and 6. The Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. There was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now, in this situation, it's hard to imagine, is it not, with the rain that we get in Scotland, but not in England. They need a lot more. In this situation, Noah had to decide whether he believed God or whether he believed what everyone else believed. Whether he would ignore the warning or heed the warning. Whether he would exercise faith or unbelief. The general population probably thought he was crazy. But Noah believed God's warning about things not yet seen. It's what we saw in the opening definition of Hebrews 11 about faith. Now faith is being sure, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In the word commentary on Hebrews, William Lane writes about Noah, he was convinced of the certain occurrence of the events which God had disclosed, but which as yet lay in the unforeseen future. Faith conferred upon these events a reality so substantial that he did not hesitate to act as though they were already beginning to happen. That's faith. The only ground for being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see is God's word. Faith always begins with taking God's word seriously. No matter what anyone else or everyone else may say and think. And among other things, God's word always contains God's warnings. And that is still true today. You see, there are some people who say, well, that's, that's in the Old Testament. You know, it's all about a God of wrath and judgment and all that kind of stuff, you know. But with the coming of Jesus, things change. Listen to the words and warning of Jesus. You can pick them out all over the place. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is the New Testament. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And Jesus also compared Noah's day to the day when he would return again. And he warned us to be ready. Here's some verses from Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So, Receiving the warning from God, nor was moved by fear, by holy fear, by the fear of God. But emotion, even a powerful emotion like fear, is never enough. No faith must lead to action. Fear must prompt us to do something. And Hebrews 11 tells us that. For notice, secondly, following from the warning, 
Is that okay? Yeah? I thought I was shouting much louder than I normally am. Right, that's good. Moved by holy fear, he built an ark. Oh, it's all right. I'll just use this. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Uh, there were no blueprints for arcs in the local architect's office. No one had ever built one before or needed one before. They probably didn't even know what an ark was. And Noah probably didn't know what an ark was till God said, build an ark, and this is what an ark looks like. The Lord told him, and he gave him the exact dimensions and materials to use along with the animals and all the other things that he should do. Notice the plan that he followed. Twice we read in Genesis, very significantly, that he followed the instructions to the letter. Genesis 6.22, nor did everything just as God had commanded him. Genesis 7 verse 5, and nor did all that the Lord commanded him. Faith means following God's instructions to the letter. And nor did that, and he proved along with it, that God's promises are true. Notice the promise he proved. Having told Noah that he was going to destroy the earth and to build an ark, the Lord made a promise to Noah, a covenant promise, an agreement with him. Genesis 6.18 This is what the Lord said, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God kept his covenant, his agreement with Noah and his family, they were preserved from drowning. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You see, by faith, Noah and his family experienced and proved God's way of salvation. Now, the building of an ark was specific uh, to Noah and his situation. I'm glad about that because unlike Rodney and Stuart, I'm useless at woodwork. Uh, when you read those instructions in Genesis, no one reads them today and says, gosh, that's what I must do. I better get the materials out and build it up. No, it's specific to that generation. So what is relevant to our generation? Has God got any warnings for us? Yes, he has. God says that our world is heading for destruction and that the human population, the Bible word, is are perishing. And God has made a way of salvation. The only way of salvation through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Best known verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now I pause at this point to ask you a vitally important question. Are you following God's way of salvation? Have you believed in God's one and only Son? It's a corny expression. Are you saved? Will you be saved from God's coming judgment? See, God has made a way of salvation. The way of salvation. We rightly sang, In Christ alone my hope is found. But is it? You see, faith means faith in Christ alone. Not faith plus anything else. It is simply obeying God's instructions. We can only be saved through faith in Christ alone. The Apostle Paul puts it again. Familiar words from the letters to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So, following the warning he received, 
This was the action that Noah took. Okay, we're moving along. Here's the third point. Again, it's obvious. Notice thirdly, the effect that he had when he built his ark. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, notice very importantly, the contrasting results of Noah's action in building an ark. Did you spot it in the verse? First of all, it meant salvation for Noah and his family. To save his family. The ark that Noah built was a means of salvation for himself and his family. Eight people. Now, of course, his family had to accept God's word as well. As Noah. But Noah set the example and they followed the example. And I simply say to you this evening, we cannot save our families, but we can set them an example. There is a sad story later in the book of Genesis that contrasts with that of Noah. A man named Lot. He was a nephew of Abraham. And he made a bad choice. Humanly speaking, it was a good choice when they divided the land between them. He chose the fertile bit and he settled in a city called Sodom. A city of great wickedness with its twin city, Gomorrah. The names today are synonymous with wickedness, Sodom and Gomorrah. And eventually God said, that's enough. I'm going to destroy these two cities. And he sent a warning to Lot. You know what Lot did? He told his family about it. You know what his sons-in-law did? They laughed. Why? Because he'd compromised his faith. There was no credibility about it. Yeah, no, Lot was saved. But his sons-in-law perished by fire. And I simply ask you at this point another question. Are we living in holy fear before our family and friends? Does the fear of God control and direct our lives? See, it's not an easy sermon. Uh, that's why we preach through the Bible, so we preach all of it, not the bits we like to preach. But it's about God's warnings. It's about living in, in holy fear before God. And I simply ask you, are you living in holy fear before your family, before your friends, before your colleagues at work, before the people you share your recreation with? Do they say the one thing that controls that person is he's got a fear of God. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying any of us are perfect, but is that, our, is that our goal, our direction? If it is, then the writer of Hebrews 11 says, not only will we be the means of salvation, but here's the flip side, we're also the means of condemnation. Notice what it says. By faith, he condemned the world. Seems a strange statement, does it not? How did he condemn the world? Surely it was God who condemned the world when he sent the flood. Well, that's the ultimate condemnation. But Noah also condemned the world. How did he condemn it? In three ways. First of all, he condemned it by his life. Genesis 6, 9 says, This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And then it goes on in verses 11 and 12 to contrast that with the rest of the population. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, was full of violence. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. You see, by the way he lived, nor condemned the world and its behaviour. Because he stood out. He was different. He lived differently. His lifestyle was different. His values were different. He was a ray of light in a dark world. Nor also condemned the world by his actions. In building an ark, he condemned the world of his day because it refused to heed the warnings of God. As Noah began to build this ark, and it was a long project, the way of escape was clearly there, yet they refused to accept it. And so condemned themselves before God's judgment. See, many people know John 3.16. We quoted it. God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Not many people know the verses that follow. So well anyway. Here they are. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Men live darkness instead of the light. Because their deeds were evil. See, Nor stood out like a light in darkness. And Nor also, thirdly, condemned the world by his words. In the New Testament, in Peter's second letter, 2 Peter 2, 5, Nor is described as a preacher of righteousness. Uh, That may just mean that his righteous life spoke volumes. But it's surely likely that Nor explained why he was building an ark and warned people about the coming judgment. You can't imagine him just standing there storm as people saw him building this huge great boat and saying, well, what are you doing, Noah? And he said, in fact, there's lots of extra New Testament books that talk about Noah and the constant word that comes out in Noah's preaching as they describe it is that he preached repentance. What's repentance? It's telling people to change their mind, to change their ways and to turn to God. Of course, what he preached was consistent with how he lived. And so it must be with us. We claim to be in a living faith with Christ. You see, the message of Christ, even today, the good news of the gospel, which is what the word means, the good news has a twofold effect. It's a message of reconciliation to those who receive it. It's a message of condemnation to those who refuse to receive it. The ambassadors of reconciliation bring hope to those sitting in darkness. But they also are harbingers of destruction for those who choose to remain in the darkness. Uh, We sang at the beginning that lovely song, May the fragrance of Jesus fill my life, fill my words, my thoughts, my deeds. It's based, of course, on Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And he describes Christians, he said, We are the fragrance of Christ. In other words, he says, if we can put it politely, Christians smell. It's a metaphor, of course. We all smell certain degree. But he's, he uses it as a picture. Now, here's what he says. Very important. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 2, 14 and 16. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, those who are perishing, to the one with the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. If you are a Christian, you will have that twofold effect among those with whom you come into contact. They will smell something. Some people will hate it. It will be the stench of death. Other people will embrace it. It will be the fragrance of life. I wonder, are we really like that? 
Or do we blend chameleon-like into the background and we have no distinctiveness? See, our, our motto as a church is to be conspicuous for Christ. To be a distinctive community of believers. And Noah's life challenges us in that respect. Noah was different and so he condemned the world. As R.T. Kendall writes in his little book on Hebrews 11, who by faith, I think it's out of print now, you can get a copy, it's worth reading. That's what he says, Whereas Noah did not save the world, he nonetheless left it without excuse. So Hebrews 11 tells us these facts about Noah's faith. The warning he received, the action he took, the effect he had, and fourthly and finally, the inheritance he gained. By faith Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family, by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, Noah didn't just escape from the flood. He also received something far more valuable. Our verse tells us he inherited something. He became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Nor in his family were the only human beings to survive this global catastrophe. You would think the verse might say, therefore, that he inherited the earth. All its riches and potential were at his disposal. But that is not what the verse says. It says he inherited the righteousness that comes by faith. What does that mean? It means that God gave him a wonderful gift by placing him in a right standing before him. A right standing before God. You see, because, God, because Noah trusted God's word, God declared him to be righteous. It's a gift of God. We thought about that already. A gift that's received by faith. That is believing God's word, heeding his warning, accepting his way of salvation. For Noah, this meant building an ark. For us, it means trusting in Christ, who alone can put you in a right relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that is the most important thing you will need when God finally judges the world. Because there is a day coming when God will judge the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the important thing is not just averting the pain and suffering of judgment. The most key thing, the key thing, is having a right relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. If I could absolutely convince you without a shadow of doubt that God will judge the world, what will your main concern be? Is it that somehow you escape unscathed? Avoid the consequence of that day? Can I suggest, if that's your main concern, you've missed the whole point. My main concern, my main fear, should be this. How will I be able to stand before a holy God when I appear before His judgment seat? That was what motivated Noah. In holy fear, he built an ark and he inherited the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, friends, there is only other, one other alternative on the Day of Judgment. And that is that people will hide from God. The last book of the Bible tells us, On the Day of Judgment, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave, every free man, will hide themselves, call on the mountains and rocks to fall on them and to hide them. It is not what they are trying to escape, but who they are trying to avoid. This is what we read. Revelation 6, 16 and 17. They called on the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Only those who stand in Christ, who have inherited the righteousness of God by faith in holy fear, can stand. Those who have come not to an ark, 
but to a cross. And to Jesus Christ, God's only way of salvation, only way of righteousness, there is no other way. Friends, these are serious matters. In fact, they are the most serious matter imaginable. And I simply say with sadness that in the church today, and even in the evangelical church, people are downplaying the wrath of God and saying, well, that's something we just need to you know, move away from and let's focus on other things. Yes, there are wonderful other things. But let us never forget the wrath of God, which produces the fear of God. Almost finished. Let me finish with good news and bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is the rainbow. God promised that he will never again destroy the world by flood. This is what he said to Noah. Genesis 9, 15 and 16. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. That is the good news. There are no more universal flood warnings. Here's the bad news. Towards the end of the first century, many people began to doubt whether Jesus would return again. They began to doubt God's promises. And in response to one of the last letters written in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter reminds them of the events of Noah's day and he issues a warning. Friends, it is not a flood warning, it is a fire warning. This is what he says in 2 Peter 3, 5 and 7 of people who say that Jesus won't return. But they deliberately forget, notice where he goes back to, that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water, and by water, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, by the same word, the word of God, the present heavens and earth, are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment, and the destruction of ungodly men. You see, Peter says the seeming delay in God fulfilling his promise to send his son to earth a second time is not a sign of his impotence, but of his patience. It's an opportunity for repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So again, I come back to the whole point of this message. Today is a day of opportunity. A day of repentance. Have you repented? Are you prepared? Have you heeded the warning? Take an action. You see, this opportunity will not last forever. You need to repent before it's too late. 2 Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now you either say at this point, what a load of rubbish, and go on your own way. Or you say, this is God's word, and I need to do something about it now, before it is too late. Many years ago, when I was a student at Bible College in Glasgow, a preacher stood in the Barrowlands Market. It's a great marketplace where people sell things in the open air. It's a great place for open air preaching. A preacher gathered a huge and eager crowd around him as he brandished a ten-pound note, which in those days was worth a lot more than it is now. And he shouted out, I have here a ten-pound note for anyone who can answer my question. 
And once he'd gathered a large crowd, he gave his question. A question from the Bible, a question for everyone. And I leave it with you. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Let's pray together.